Welcome back to our Russia-Ukraine crisis podcast. I've been going through the information, and there might be many segments to this. I'm not going to put a limit on it. It's just going to be what it's going to be. It is a very complex situation, as I'm sure all of you know, but we're going to try to identify some very core common denominator things that we can also see historically, can see a certain pattern to, to help us have a grounding, if you will. And I'm going to do my best. Like I said, I'm not an expert, but because I don't hear many people talking about a lot of the things we're going to go over, I felt compelled to do this, even though I have way too many things going on in my life, and I really should be doing all those. But like I said, my conscience can feel a little bit better once this is all done. So what we're going to do here is we're going to go through an article that was put together by a friend of mine, friend of the show. We've had him on the podcast before, James Perloff. Now, this article gives some caveats here. Um, his blog post is like 95% resources. It's just video evidence, interviews, documenting things, rather than his own personal commentary or assessment. So if for some reason you aren't a fan of James or you don't like his analysis, that's actually irrelevant to what we are examining here. I'm actually not talking about his analysis. I'm talking about the sources he's using. I talked with him and he gave me his blessing to go through this. And I would encourage you to please go visit the blog post to watch all of the videos I'll be talking about because I'm just going to be summarizing them and talking about them. But of course, when you see the images and everything to go with it, that gives you the full effect. There's also other various resources we'll be going through in the other segments. Also, I'm going to assume that the translations of various videos are honest. I don't speak Russian. I don't have a translator. You can figure it out for yourself if they are legit or not. So far, I haven't heard any disputes, and that would be way too much work and way too much craziness to go on this assumption that they're all fake. We're going to go on the assumption that they are legit. Maybe one or two might not be, but that doesn't negate the other ones. So, like I said, you have to trust something, and we know what the mainstream media is pumping out, and there's certain things you can gather from that, but we're going to compare and contrast with all these things, and then again, you can decide what you think. Now, a lot of these sources are very different. They're from more independent perspectives, but some of them are mainstream. We get stuff from America, France, Ukraine itself, the Orthodox Church in general, or different factions. They tend to fight about a lot of things, but so do Catholics. And the Russian sources, etc. Now, here's the key. If there are people who are obviously not in contact with each other or don't have any connection with each other, unless there's some super conspiracy that has no evidence to connect them, and you just assume that that is the case... Well, that's how you confirm if there are particular tactics of one army or another or different regimes that have a coherent narrative, right? If you have a group that's coming in from Britain into the situation or one that's in Ukraine itself or, you know, wherever, compare that and contrast what they see and what they say is happening with what you see in the media on both sides, whether it's the Russian side or the Western side, right? So that's how you can determine what's more true or not if the people telling you what they're doing in the governments is actually what you're seeing on the ground. Now, people can have different agendas and whatever, but there could be outliers, but that's why you need to continuously compare and contrast. And then if somebody has a very strong emotion about it and they start telling you, you must hate this person or that person or whatever it might be, 
Are they going on emotion? What is their proof? Are they making assumptions? Are they making generalizations? Are they building straw men? These are all things to consider. It's very difficult to sort through, but again, I think if we go through our gospel simplicity uh, and take those basic concepts that Christ outlined, that can really help us to sort through this mess, sort through the chaos. Also, consider how mainstream media sources, they'll often admit something, but when it's interpreted in a way they don't like, meaning the data they admitted, then they try to convince you it doesn't exist. So for example, biolabs in Ukraine, this is actually admitted. But if you call that, you know, a weapon or a potential weapon, let's say, uh, or a problem, then they'll say they don't exist, just like the Hunter Biden laptop, right? Oh, that's just Russian propaganda. Then they admit it exists. But as soon as you try to say that that's evidence of something worse, then it doesn't exist or, or whatever, right? So this is gaslighting, what they call usually. I think there's various forms of it, but you probably know what that is. Also, more importantly, if someone tells you you're their plan, like if Putin says, this is why I'm invading Russia, this is what we're doing, and they lay it out clearly, and then you see those actions actually taking place within a reasonable gradient of behavior or modifications based upon situations that you can't foresee, well, that's a pretty good indicator they're being true to their word. Like Christ says, your yes be yes, your no be no. And lastly, when someone gets attacked for just stating plain facts, and then they have additional insights that go with that, and they're called crazy or conspiracy theorists or Kremlin propaganda or vice versa, without any kind of reasonable refutation of the facts. And then they use the specs and logs tactics where they blow up something that's not as big of a deal. Or they try to conflate something that's not as big of a deal with something that is a big deal and act like they're the same. That is a huge red flag. So if somebody's saying, oh, Trump supported an LGBT group one time, and then they're telling you to support Zelensky carte blanche, who's like LGBT to the max, as we shall see, those are two very different things. To put it more bluntly, if you have a person that says, hey, I have a couple gay friends, I don't mind if they do what they do, but they live, I guess, quote unquote, fairly conservatively, that's different in terms of supporting, you know, gay marriage than somebody who's filming gay pornography and saying, I support LGBT stuff. Those are very, very different things, even if from the Christian perspective, the root is still supporting something that would be deemed an error or a sin, right? So with all that in mind, let's get on to the first part of James Perloff's article or the first theme, which is NATO's wars. So NATO is basically the liberal establishment of the West with US, Canada, and Europe. And we're talking about the Enlightenment liberal establishment. We're not talking about liberals like Nancy Pelosi, and we're divorcing that from George Bush or whatever, even Ronald Reagan. Um, we're just talking about the general American Enlightenment regime and principles, which has had its virtuous moments, but it's also had its not-so-good moments. So we're transcending left and right dialectics here, and we're just talking about the general system itself that is not the social kingship of Christ. It's trying to remain neutral in a sense. And then things get taken further and further away from Christendom as time goes on by that left and right dialectical serpent devouring itself like we've made the analogy too many times. 
And we can say that this could be Democratic and Republican, especially in the sense of like the neocon type conservatives. Now, obviously, in the Republican Party, there's a lot of battling going on. And that battle is perhaps a little bit different with people like Trump and the MAGA movement involved or people have risen out of that, like, for example, Ron DeSantis or Marjorie Taylor Greene or some of these sorts of people. Now, they're not the only ones who have conflict, but it's of a different sort. There is conflict. There is in the Democratic Party, but they're still unified on the same things that they hate. Whereas in the Republican Party, there's a split between perhaps some things that divide by the sword that are very important. Now, another thing that's important to keep in mind is the idea of clothing versus bodies. You can have two different bodies, but they can wear the same clothes at different times. So, as far as I understand, NATO was kind of formed to deal with the Soviet Union Cold War threat. But the problem is, perhaps, are people still stuck in that mindset of what Russia used to be versus what it is now, or what America used to be versus what it is now. This is key, and it's almost like a direct inversion in a lot of ways. It's very interesting. And again, perhaps this is God's providence forcing people to set aside their prejudices on either side of the equation, east or west, throughout history. That's something to keep in mind. Now, I'm not an expert in all the history of the Cold War, but the main thing or one of the main things that's the issue here, is the promise that NATO would not uh, increase its territory or its movement towards the east, towards Russia. It would restrain itself. And this is what Putin isn't so happy about. And we're going to elaborate on all these things. We're just outlining some broad strokes here. But the point is, these are some promises that are made, right? And when you make promises in Christianity... It's kind of important to keep them, especially when they're really big things. We're not talking about promises to eat no more than two cookies and we ate three cookies or something. We're talking about really major stuff, weightier matters of the law, camels and logs, not specks and gnats. Now, here's the question. Are there ways to move eastward but not seem like you're moving there in an actively aggressive way? And that's the subtlety of the serpent where most people, they only recognize aggression as a guy coming at you with a baseball bat, like in the movies, and they don't understand passive aggression or proxy wars, where you finance other things and other beings, entities, groups, to do your bidding, and then you act like you don't have any sort of association with them, etc. But usually the association comes out in pride later once they feel like they have enough power. That will be very relevant. So, remember, financing revolutionaries using proxy warriors gives the illusion, and that is passive-aggressive, and then when the quote-unquote mostly peaceful protesters cause havoc and uprising, and then the government that is trying to be overthrown suppresses them, well, then the Western media portrays the activists, the peaceful protesters, as saints, heroes, martyrs. And then they demonize the governments as horrible, evil Nazis and dictators because we've all seen these films about what Hitler did and that's exactly what they're like. And that will be the irony here because there's actual Nazis being used as these proxy warriors by the leftist liberal establishment that tells you everyone's a Nazi and they're evil and we got to go get them. And then you do all these things and you rinse and repeat and then you take over countries. Now, 
sometimes these leaders that are being taken over and cast out aren't such good guys, but weighing things out in the scales is what comes after any better. Perhaps sometimes, but usually it's much worse. And more importantly, is there a hidden aspect here of persecution where when all of these revolutions happen, it's actually, I'm going to say sacramental Christians, Catholic with a small c, the churches, Oriental, Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholicism that all have the sacraments, are those the ones who actually get caught up and martyred and killed by all of the chaos, much more so than most other groups? Is that the secret hidden enmity that all of these leaders perhaps don't quite see, and that's actually the powers and principalities operating, at least in the majority sense of the awareness of what's going on. We're going to have a more charitable reading here. And again, think about this as not a conspiracy of men, but the conspiracy of demonic powers. That's always something I hope that people would keep in mind. So with that being said, let's talk a little bit about the 2014 quote-unquote revolution, or perhaps coup, that happened in Ukraine. Now, at the time, there was a democratically elected president, Viktor Yanukovych. I'm going to butcher a lot of these names. I'm not going to apologize for it constantly. You're just going to have to deal with it. So apparently, he's like a pro-Russian president and, I guess, refused some IMF loans. Hmm, sounds very similar to the fate of many Middle Eastern countries that had coups, and they refused world banking involvement from the World Bank or IMF or whatever globalist conglomerate of the West um, likes to intervene. So this man was removed from office during the Maidan revolution. Um, Now, this is a very, very interesting revolution. And I'm not going to any super fancy sources. If you just go to Wikipedia, it just gives you an outline And Wikipedia is not the best source, of course, but it's good for just basic things. So I don't think it's a problem to use it for a broad overview here of the various groups that are at least involved in a basic description of them. So apparently (laughs) this revolution was called the Revolution of Dignity. Now we're going to see if these groups that perform this revolution, how much dignity they actually have. You can decide. That's up to you guys. But the entry here is for Euromaidan. E-U-R-O-M-A-I-D-A-N, the Maidan Uprising. So we're going to look at the groups that were trying to overthrow the government. And it seems like strange bedfellows. That's our number one red flag with the issue of pandemonium. All demons who all fight with each other don't like each other, but they will all unify when they want to keep out God. Now, if God is truth, you can have different layers of what that might be. It might not necessarily be the most beautiful, lovely Roman Catholic regime they're trying to keep out, right? We don't need to LARP too much here. It could just be keeping out basic truths of reality because that's how far we've fallen. So with that in mind, let's dig a little deeper into this revolution. So some of the tactics of this revolution are summarized here. And they're kind of the typical usual things, civil disobedience, resistance, demonstrations, mostly peaceful protests, right? There's also the occupation of administrative or government buildings, 
hmm, that's interesting. Uh, because I'm pretty sure most of the people who supported this revolution hated the January 6th event and thought it was the worst insurrection of all time. How dare they storm the Capitol building? And, you know, you know that whole story. So apparently it's okay to occupy government buildings and have a protest when you're protesting liberal democracy and anything but God, right, in terms of how we're defining it. So that's something to keep in mind for a particular hypocrisy. And then there's also, here's the key, internet activism and hacktivism. So this is all technocracy, right? So I find it also ironic that these same crimes are blamed upon Trump's election, Russian collusion, Russian hackers, all this stuff. We've heard this a million times. But apparently this overthrow was loud and proud using these things because you're using hacktivism for good, right? Apparently. Now, this reminds us very, very much of what we talked about in apocalyptic elections in the latter parts in the Arab Spring Revolution that's tied to the weirdness with John Podesta, tied to the Catholic Spring, right? That regime under Obama um, overthrowing Gaddafi. There was all kinds of articles talking about the role of social media in that revolution. We have the same thing going on here, and we saw the same thing during well, the whole Trump presidency, but in particular, trying to stop the steal, where technocracy canceled all of these different things and seemingly overnight. And that's exactly what's happening right now with Russia. And then we also have technocrat financial backing, strange things with Mark Zuckerberg donations to places, I think, like Wisconsin. Is that what it is? I don't know. You know that whole story. So are all these factors at play here? appears to be so. Moving on, let's talk about the different groups that were supporting this Maidan revolution. And it's going to baffle you how all of these groups could work together. And we know that there's always this fake peace or unity promoted by the liberal establishment, but they're not so far off in this sense, where it's a really kind of a miracle that all these groups are being united here. But is it a satanic miracle? <laughs> that would be the question you want to ask yourself. So with that in mind, let's go through all these different groups that were in support of this revolution. So I'm not going to name all of them because it would just take way too long. It reminds me of like all the Protestant dissenters. There's like a million of these groups in England, the, the Shakers, the Quakers and all that stuff, right? But they're all uniting against the Anglican Church, which was too Catholic for them at the time. Um, so it reminds me of that, but way more extreme. Okay, so we have a lot of nationalists. Uh, most of these groups are nationalists, yet there's all these globalists saying we need open borders and nationalism's evil. Well, apparently only certain types of nationalism is evil. And then when it's convenient to use nationalist fervor to support globalist agenda, well, that's totally cool, right? So there's that double standard Pharisaic hypocrisy kicking in. There's also Afghan war veterans. So this was the war with the Soviets fighting the Mujahideen. And that gets back to uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski rousing the Mujahideen rebels to go fight the Soviets. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later and how that's kind of like fits into the category of magic um, political magic, uh, if you just apply the objective standards of what people like Crowley or whoever define as magic. Um, it's a very interesting video. People probably seen that with uh, Brzezinski 
rousing these troops. And we're going to find that also later with Lindsey Graham and John McCain rousing particular troops against Putin and many years ago, actually. So that will be very relevant. But before we get there, let's just go through the rest of these different groups. So <laughs> anybody who's fighting in that war on the ground is probably not the best company, I would assume. Continuing, there seem to be these kind of like fake Christian democracy groups, but they all have these like communist ideals. There's a few of them. One's called the Young Christian Democrats. But for some reason, they're going to be siding with neo-Nazis um, in their plight. So doesn't seem very Christian to me. Um, and speaking of which, there's all these different right-wing groups, or they're deemed right-wing in these Wikipedia entries. Um, these, perhaps, some of them might be like the Jim, or excuse me, Richard Spencer or Jim Goad types that we know of in the West. Uh, maybe like the Red Ice Radio types. And then there's way more extreme ones. There's this dude named Stepan Bandera who was like part of a Nazi faction, I think, in Ukraine back in the original Nazis. And so these guys are seen as like his successor or something like that. There's also a retired heavyweight Ukrainian boxer leading one of these parties. I don't know what that's all about, but that's kind of funny. There's other far-right parties that are seen as kind of conservative. There's also this radical right-wing nationalism that has ties to the Eastern Orthodox Ukrainian church that the Russian Orthodox has excommunicated, and they reside in Kiev, I guess. So that's interesting. So while Catholics are kind of making fun of the Orthodox for you know, having schisms with each other, which again is an understandable criticism, but I don't think it's something that we should boast about. Um, because what if certain Russian Orthodox are excommunicating actual nationalistic Nazi types that are infiltrating the churches? And that will also translate over to some of the weird footage we're going to see later or talk about with the Ukrainian Union Army and dealing with churches. Um, there's also something called the Justice Party, lovely name. We know what that means. They're basically communists. And then there seems to be groups that are kind of like the standard hipster activists. They want to be peaceful. And I think they don't really quite see all of the uh, riffraff they're caught up in that they probably are horrified at. They're just fixated with horse blinders on their own activism, right? Um, this seems like the group Otto Maidan might fit that category. Again, I'm just giving a cursory overview of what seems to be the case for me and trying to give a maybe a Western equivalent. Then there's um, the nonviolent Vidsich group. Their slogan is saying no to a police state. And it's kind of ironic where they probably have one now under Zelensky, who we'll talk about later. Um, but another one of their slogans is revenge for the division of Ukraine. So when you talk, start talking about revenge, is that the nonviolent kind? You say you're against violence, but you want revenge. I don't know. Seems a little strange to me. And then also they're into boycotting Russian goods. That's one of the groups. Then there's this kind of Islamic activist group, I think, the Med Medjlis. I don't know. They're outlawed by, uh, outlawed by Russia. Um, so it's interesting. I've heard like some people who criticize Putin and Russian orthodoxy is like he's crypto-Islamic too or something. I don't know. I, I hear all kinds of weird stuff out there. But it seems like that's not the case, at least with this particular group. I don't know much more about them. 
Then there's this group called the Right Sector. They're ultra nationalists and they're super anti Russian hate group. And they're, you know, it's just ethnic superiority. They're Ukrainian nationalists. They hate Russians. Um, and they're kind of like Ukrainian Nazis. Um, this seems to be one of the most problematic ones. They seem to have military ties and reported anti Semitic incidents by the Haaretz newspaper in Israel. So anybody who doesn't like anti Semitism should hate this group, right? But why is this group also hating on ethnic Russians? That doesn't fit the narrative of Russia as a bunch of nationalist Nazis if the Nazis in Ukraine, who are being called anti-Semitic by Jews in Israel, are hating <laughs> these Russians. Like, again, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, and apparently this group is promoting like Mein Kampf, Elders of Zion stuff, right? This is stuff that did go around in Russia back in the day. But remember, different clothes, different bodies, but they could swap clothing at different times. And then lastly, there's this Euro-maiden radical group called Spilna Sprava. It looks like more neo-Nazi nationalist stuff. So think about this mixture. We have a bunch of weird Nazi-type views a bunch of communist-type views, liberal, democratic, so-called pacifist, peaceful protesting views, and then Ukrainian boxers <laughs> that are retired heavyweights uh, and fake Christian democracies and Afghan war veterans. Um, so sounds like a lovely bunch of groups that we would all want to get behind and support. Now, if you're willing to admit that those groups are problematic but you're going to say, well, you know what? They're better than this pro-Russian guy because Putin is worse than all of them, right? <laughs> well, uh, as we go through this, you might maybe want to revise that statement. I don't know. That, that would just be my take on it, but that's just me. I'm just a dude on the internet. All right, let's move on. Apparently in this revolution, there were also anti-government, but also anti-protester groups. Now, usually these were radical communists. Maybe they're like anarchists. We don't like government. We don't like these protesting groups because then they'll become the new government. They're just straight up rejecting the whole thing. Um, they're probably viewing them as all as dialectics of each other. But again, I think that they're just in the same bunch. Um, and then on the other side of the conflict, you have the pro-government factions. Now, there's less information on most of these. Some are just the basic Ukrainian government at the time. There's a couple different factions. Um, and I'm just going to highlight certain ones in particular because there are some factions that are tied to Russia. Some are accused of it and some are, you know, common knowledge associated with Russia. So there's a group of Russian separatists. They're called terrorists now. They're in the Donbass area. I've heard it pronounced different ways. Donbass, Donbass. I don't know. I'm just going to say Donbass. Now, apparently there's accusations. These separatists are tied to the Russian government, and then the Russian government denies it. And then they say they found some papers that documented that they're tied to it. And then they're accused of a variety of things like shooting down Malaysia Flight 17. I'm sure people remember that happening. I don't know much about it, but these are some of the broad strokes that are being said about it, at least. Then from Russia, with or without love, we have the Don Cossacks. Now, apparently this is a kind of Russian Orthodox fashion that goes back to a military tradition 
that was used by the czar. Seen as a bit hardcore, kind of that stereotypical, oh, I drink vodka. Go fight for Russian czar. Drink vodka, right? <laughs> That's like the stereotype. It seems like these guys would be kind of the equivalent of that or like Russian rednecks maybe. I don't know. And hey, I'm not knocking rednecks here. I'm just saying that seems to be what's, I don't know, being conveyed here. I don't know. Maybe it's like MAGA, Russia, you know, U.S. vets supporting Trump or something. And then there's this group called the Night Wolves, uh, which I guess is like a biker gang. <laughs> it's kind of reminds me of like the Proud Boys, perhaps. And they have definite ties to Putin. I guess he supports them or something like that. So those seem to be the Russian interests that are most actively involved or were involved in this conflict. Again, I could be getting some of these groups wrong a little bit or distorting some of them. But based on what I see, that seems to be the gist. You can research the rest on your own time. It doesn't really matter other than we're looking at the broad collective sentiments here and its parallels, I think, to what's going on here in the West with MAGA versus the same kinds of people, neocons teaming up with, you know, the socialist liberals and all that stuff. Okay, so we've established pandemonium's cry, all demons, anything but God, they all hate each other. Um, it seems to be at play here. We'll let you decide, but more importantly, all of these groups on some level were backed by Western technocracy to create this governmental overthrow of this guy who's a pro-Russian president, but this Russia is an ever-increasing Christian Russia. I know some people don't like that. They say it's a fake Christianity. We're going to talk about that later, so you might want to reserve your opinion for that um, for the end of this podcast. And more importantly, this guy was democratically elected, and we all love democracy, right? We all believe that democracy is the way to go and it could never be corrupted and all the elections are perfect. And that Putin is evil and Kirill has an expensive watch. Remember that. That's really important. All right. So now let's recall the Trump election. We alluded to this previously, but I just think it's so important to always keep this in mind. So the first time he was elected... He came out, and we have the witches with their hexes and their tarot cards. We documented all of this in Apocalyptic Elections. You have the Richard Spencers and Red Ice Radios that sort of supported him, but they quickly turned on him. And the alt-right, you know, kind of neo-Nazi or more like Hitler apologist types, um, they all started to complain that Trump had too many Jews around him, right? Like Jared Kushner, Chabad ties and stuff like that. And I think that Chabad is a group that, is perhaps a bit demonized by people suspicious of maybe some Jewish shenanigans. Um, I have a much different opinion of that organization than something like the ADL. Let's just leave it at that. Not saying there might not be some problems with them or some things are kind of fanatical, but <laughs> nevertheless, uh, I do find some respectable things about it as well. And that's for another time. Moving on. Um, you also have the neocons and the Clintons, right? The Obama and the Bushes. Uh, they're supposed to be against each other, right? That, that was all the reason why Obama was elected. We need to get away from those neocon wars and we need change. Um, well, what kind of change? Is it real change or is it fake change? And all the other important things for the globalist agendas pretty much stay the same. Um, then we had many Catholics 
that were against Trump being elected. So again, when you're out there with satanic witches who love abortion and you're fist pumping with them to get rid of a president that at least seemed to be pretty pro-life and we're going to get into that later and, you know, rehash some of the apocalyptic election stuff. Uh, you might want to rethink that. I don't know. And then almost the entire entertainment industry and sports world came out to try to protest against Trump being president. You have angry women screaming no in the middle of Times Square, all that stuff. We talked about that in Apocalyptic Elections. You've seen all of that footage. But there's also many other countries that were not very happy about it. And more importantly, um, again, we can't get into it just yet, but we'll foreshadow it here. There's certain neocons beating the war drums against Putin that thought they were going on offense in the year 2017, but perhaps the Trump presidency threw a monkey wrench in that plan. Now, despite any issues with Donald Trump that are legitimate, he's still called this crazy Nazi leader and, you know, all that stuff, just like Putin is called on the other side, the East and the West. I find that strange. Okay. Now let's talk a little bit about NATO's war history. This is coming more so from James's article. And he shows us a video of one General Wesley Clark from 2007 talking about going to war with Iraq. And basically he's saying that we're blowing up countries to get terrorists, so-called, getting them terrorists. That's right, them terrorists are in all them countries where there's no IMF bank. We got to go in and get them terrorists. So, crappy George Bush impersonations aside... The general here talks about seven countries that this plan was all outlined to take out within five years. Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and then going back to Iran. Now, what's important here is that this is the neocons talking, but a lot of those things were also realized by the Obama regime, right? And more importantly, like we talked about in apocalyptic elections, we saw that many Christians were destabilizing these conflicts and radical Islam was doing some very radical things to them. Whereas the previous regime, as problematic as it was, Saddam Hussein, Gaddafi, uh, I guess Assad, who's still there dealing with the same types of tactics they at least had enough stability to protect them on some level. But once they were taken out, it was open borders chaos, and that's where you have all these Christian genocides really uh, stirring up. And that will relate to the recent debacle in Afghanistan that we'll talk about later, because there's a lot of, perhaps, to put it charitably, contradictions with that whole uh, situation if we compare it to Ukraine. Now, there are some comments here in James's article about uh, Trump going in and dealing with Syria, but we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Not an expert, but that seems to be early on the presidency and there's other factors involved. And we're going to talk about the idea of progressing away from certain things and also being surrounded by wolves who want to trap you into a bunch of stuff. So let's postpone that for now. Moving on and recalling what we talked about in Apocalyptic Elections and also the podcast on Wacism, which will be very relevant to all of this. Episode 30, by the way. Um, well, we have the Libya debacle, where Hillary Clinton basically laughs about murdering 
Gaddafi in an interview. And he was also blamed for giving Viagra to his troops to rape women and children, which was admitted later as a false story. But no one seems to care after the fact. And this tied into a bunch of sanctions thrown on a country, which perhaps are relevant to what's going on now. And that this stirred up all the emotions of people to go in and destroy the country of Libya and take out Gaddafi. Also think about the Kuwait incubator hoax, where a girl came over and gave this story, I think, about babies and incubators being thrown out of hospitals. I don't remember exactly what it was, but the whole point is that this girl was like the daughter of some fancy ambassador or something, and they thought that she was just like a random refugee girl. It, it turned out to be a whole debacle, and basically it was trying to beat the drums for war with a fake philanthropy and sympathy. And of course, this was under the Bush administration to foment the Gulf War. I think it was in the early 90s. Another person involved was Senator Tom Lantaus. I think he was a senator. I don't remember. But the point is, this guy was a Holocaust survivor, yet he's in U.S. government who is basically promoting fake atrocity propaganda in order to invade a country. So you would think somebody who came from that situation would not want to participate in the tactics of the Nazis in order to create war. That's my point. And that senator was also from Hungary, like George Soros, and we'll talk about why he is very relevant to this situation a bit later. Anyways, back to the Libya debacle. So this destabilized the whole regime, killed a bunch of Orthodox Christian, I believe Oriental, I don't always know how to distinguish those different groups in those areas. Um, and it created the migrant crisis in Europe. And we have the Islamic terror threats in like France, the rapes in Germany, Barbara Spector's strange comments about multicultural Europe, and so it goes. Now also remember, or recall, episode 30, our COVID-1984 racism uh, during this episode during the summer of love um, where I you know said a not so good word out of perhaps hopefully righteous anger but nevertheless trying to clean up my potty mouth from the old days but we talked about the tech mining slavery that's going on in Africa by all of these tech groups Google and um, Microsoft and all, all of these tech conglomerates that uh, you know, on their Facebook page, when the George Floyd incident happened, they made their icon Black Lives Matter. Yet they're capitalizing off of real African slavery that's today going on now with all of the chip mining or mineral mining that goes in our computers. Now, again, I'm not virtue signaling about this. I use a computer and it comes from this stuff. I don't like that. It It's horrible. But these are problems with our system. I'm not going to use virtue signaling to attack other people and make them feel guilty for using computer like the SJWs make you feel guilty when you say, well, maybe George Floyd wasn't such a great guy. and Maybe the situation isn't as uh, black and white, no pun intended, as you think it is, just like we're talking about with Russia. But no, it's got to be one or the other. And I'd say, what is the dividing line of the sword that Christ gives us as a criteria I don't remember him talking about these racial dialectics. In fact, I'd say it's the exact opposite. 
that's another topic for another time. But the point is, there were a lot of martyrs in the Congo, the Republic of Congo, that were not so much martyred for their Christian faith, but for speaking out against atrocities. And it seems to me like a lot of that would involve these types of mining operations where women are raped. African women are raped by their foremen because they're sold into slavery and no one's going to make a stink about it because they're surrounded by people with machine guns. But nobody in the Me Too movement cares about that. Nobody in the BLM movement cares about that. No, 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 no. It's George Floyd and we got to go destroy dictators. So point being, the Republic of Congo has, I think it's like the most Roman Catholic martyrs in modern times. It's like, it was like at 70,000 per year at one point. That's a crazy amount of people. Now recall also we mentioned that the Germanic Aryan woke Cardinal Casper from Germany uh, apparently said we shouldn't listen to African bishops. So once again, somebody who's tied into all this liberal modernist theology or whatever it is, he's literally a white dude from Germany, right? The source of the Aryan man. And he's telling us we shouldn't listen to African bishops much. Well, why shouldn't we listen to those African bishops that I think it was the synodal way or whatever it was? It's because they were saying we need to not be promoting LGBT culture. They were standing up for the things that divide by the sword. But for some reason, when we, you know, we're all BLM and Africans have been oppressed, we must always listen to them and include them. Well, not when it comes to African bishops who want to promote Christian morality. We, we don't listen to them. That's okay, says the strong Aryan warrior, Cardinal Casper. So incredible hypocrisy, if you look at it from this global perspective. We also talked about the irony of looting all these stores with electronic goods while crying Black Lives Matter when those stores produce those goods from African slavery. All right, I'm not going to get too ranty about that. It really makes me upset. Let's move on to the next thing. Now, let's talk about Afghanistan. Now, I'm no expert on this as well. I've heard a thing or two about it, and I'll comment on what I've heard. So, we remember the endless wars and how this was all to fat terror and then install all these democracies over in the Middle East, and Afghanistan was one of these pet projects that lasted for many decades. And think about all the people who have died over those wars. All of the innocent people in the Middle East, civilians, and all of the civilian things that were bombed or blown up, hospitals, whatever, everything everyone's crying about right now in Ukraine, and again, I'm not diminishing that, but putting this into context in we're weighing things on scales here. That's very important. So what happened recently, the whole Afghanistan puppet democracy, I guess, has fallen apart and, you know, groups tied to Al-Qaeda or the Taliban, the old terrorists that we used to give people red-orange alerts every day and scare the crap out of people, and we all have to go through and get probed at airports now because of this and have to dump out all our drinks, we can't bring them on the plane, and you... uh you know, you have the Patriot Act <laughs> because of all this, right? Well, all of that was for this project in Afghanistan and, and other things. But now that all has fallen apart and gone back to the hands of the terrorists, yet it doesn't really seem to matter. These things aren't called war crimes when they blow up hospitals. James put in some tweets in there from CNN saying, well, it's not really war crime. Let's not worry about that. But when a hospital gets blown up in Ukraine for whatever reason, then we got to mobilize. That's a horrible thing. 
But when it happens in Afghanistan during this current time, even though for decades we've been saying we all need to pour everything into the Middle East, well, that's not a big deal anymore. And the terrorists are back in control, but they're like the nice version of the terrorists now. Let's not worry about it. Meanwhile, there's all these Christians in there who are getting persecuted, trying to make it to the airport, uh, the whole Kabul airport thing. Listen to Steve Bannon's war room to get a better take on that than I would have. But the point is, those are all the factors, yet we're just going to dump that all down the drain. Who cares about that right now? The common denominator to me seems to be Christianity. When Christians are getting persecuted over there during that, like they were during all of these endless wars, nobody seems to really care about that. But when Russia wants to reject woke ideology, promote Christian marriage, and all of these sorts of things, well, we got to shift all of our democratic efforts to Ukraine now. We need to hold up that democracy more than anything else. Let's just forget about that 20 years and everything I did and all them people that died. We got to go to Ukraine now. That's where the real terrorists are. That's where the Nazis are. Now, we're not diminishing uh, other Christians in Ukraine that aren't Russian Orthodox. That's not what this is about. That is also a problem. But we still need to look at the broader picture here and the broader scope, which we're going to continue to trek on through here, through the muck. We are really tracking the serpent and what it's turning its gaze towards. And then all these other things get caught up in that Ouroboros, as we know. So, like I mentioned, James put in some tweets here from CNN. When the Ukrainian hospitals bombed, then the U.S. must intervene. When Afghanistan's hospitals bomb in current Afghanistan, well, it's not a war crime, not such a big deal anymore. So the other thing I would mention, too, think about the history of Afghanistan and the Soviet-Afghan war, where one Zbigniew Brzezinski goes in there, makes a big speech to the Mujahideen, which would split off in various factions and eventually become the Taliban that, uh, you know, the the, the main narrative is that that came and blew up the Twin Towers, right? Um, Whatever you think about 9-11 conspiracy theories, we're setting that aside. We're going with the narratives here and what people accept as the history. Um, I'm not giving any opinions on that. We don't need to go in any rabbit holes. So the point is, Brzezinski says to these Mujahideen who become these terrorists and probably do some not-so-nice things to women, as I've seen some really horrible, disgusting footage over the year that I really wish I could unsee, um, well, we're, we're backing them to fight the Soviets. So really, this is, is this the definition of Satan casting out Satan? Western liberal democracy goes over, gets a bunch of radical Muslims, invokes the God of Allah, says, God is on your side. Go watch the video on Brzezinski. I'll I'll put it in the links. And he basically is saying, you know, your fight is our fight. God is on your side. Go get him. Now, Brzezinski's not stupid. He knows that these, you know, poor looking Muslims all believe in Allah. And so he's duping them, saying, I believe in your God, right? This is the ecumenical syncretism of masonry kind of thing, right? I'm not saying Brzezinski's a mason, but it's that Masonic syncretism where, oh, we just invoke whatever gods to get the real god of the Roman state uh, to have its hegemony over the world. And that's why I think America is very much a new Rome. And so it's going to attack the Soviet communists, which, again, I'm not a fan of either. But this is my point on the definition of magic with, with Crowley's Goetia. You use the names of demons, 
But the idea is this is their their schema. I'm not saying this is the reality, but this is what they think they're doing. They're invoking names of demons to do good. This is the viewpoint of like Crowley Goetia magic. Ooh, the magician has control over demons if you have these magical formula and you invoke certain names and then you have, you know, they go do your bidding, right? Now apply this just to general politics and the idea of a consciousness of a person. Uh, in Catholic demonology, if you listen to like Father Ripperger, you know, Allah is seen as like the name of a demon. Whether you believe that or not, that's just how it would be seen. So if you invoke Allah, you don't have to say his name, but if you invoke that in what people think it to be Allah, because if you have a name, you have to define it with something. So obviously these Mujahideen think that Allah is being invoked here. Brzezinski's invoking the name of that demon and sending them to go cast out another demon, right? This is just like the Pharisaic magic and weird name magic that was tied to the Jews in Babylon. This is all a whole other topic, but it's very interesting that if you apply those objective criteria of how magic operates by like people like Crowley, that's actually what Brzezinski was doing here. He's raising up one demon to go fight another and trying to play God, and only God has control over evil. He doesn't will evil. He is not evil, but he can use it for a greater good. We're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to watch God do those things and be in awe of it, not try to play God ourselves with the knowledge of good and evil, doing things that we not have not the authority to do. So that's my point. So we see Brzezinski doing that in this Soviet-Afghan war, and then now things are coming home to roost again. I think that perhaps God is judging us all by our standards over many, many centuries right now during this very strange apocalyptic time. We're going to see a reincarnation of that, in my opinion, with Lindsey Graham and John McCain, which we'll get to in the next segment. But in order to finish out this first segment, we got a few more things to go through on the NATO situation. The next time we'll talk more about Vladimir Putin, the, the <laughs> grand despot extraordinaire. Okay, so... There's a video of Madeleine Albright, the Secretary of State, back during these Persian Gulf Wars of the Bush administration, Bush 1.0, and she's being asked on 60 Minutes, getting mainstream news, about the effects of the sanctions against Iraq in Bush's Persian Gulf Wars, and that a half a million children died. This is more than Hiroshima. And the interviewer asked, is that price worth it? Half a million children. That is a lot. We're going to set aside the abortion that kills 50 million children worldwide per year for now. But in terms of what all Americans actively say that they don't want to happen, whether they're pro-abortion or not, and they're saying is happening in Ukraine, and, and that's what's the, part of the pretext to, to get it all involved over there. Putin's killing children in hospitals. Um, well... Is it worth it if it's for democratic freedom? And Madeleine Albright says, it's a hard choice, but it is worth it. And that was taken from a clip on May 12th, 1996 of CBS News called Punishing Saddam. Now, I'm going to read a quick quote from an Associated Press article, which is a reputable Pulitzer Prize winning uh, nonprofit media agency. And they're going to talk about Christians in Iraq under Saddam Hussein before the 2003 U.S.-led invasion overthrew him. And it says, quote, Christians in Iraq 
enjoyed protection and near equal rights with Iraq's Muslim majority. But they were among the first groups targeted amid the breakdown in security and sectarian bloodbath that prevailed for years after the 2003 U.S.-led invasion that overthrew him. Now, I believe that these were mostly Syriac Catholic uh, Christians. I don't know what their status is exactly with the Catholic Church. It seems like they were kind of brought back in. I don't know. But the point is, like we mentioned, these are Catholic in the sense of universal sacramental Christians. They all have churches with the sacraments, despite the differences or arguments on this or that. And those seem to be the ones most targeted by all of these regime changes that's hidden beneath the surface or falling between the cracks. Now, with that in mind, we have a statement by President George W. Bush on Ukraine, February 24, 2022. And he says, quote, Russia's attack on Ukraine constitute the gravest security crisis in the European continent. I won't keep doing George Bush's voice. European continent since World War II. I join the international community in condemning Vladimir Putin's unprovoked, keyword unprovoked, and unjustified invasion of Ukraine. The Ukraine, or excuse me, the American government people must stand, must stand in solidarity with Ukraine, the Ukrainian people, as they seek freedom and the right to choose their own future. And we'll just see how much of a choice that is under Zelensky and also what some of these technocratic people are saying that there will be no more free will in the future. We'll see how much of a choice there is, but we'll get to that in other videos or segments. And he says, we cannot tolerate the authoritarian bullying that and danger that Putin poses. Um, there was no bullying of encroaching into Russian territory eastward by NATO. That's a myth. That never happened. And it says, Ukraine is our friend and democratic ally and deserves our full support during this most difficult time. So George Bush, who led all these endless wars that many of the liberals didn't like or grew to not like and wanted to elect Obama to get rid of him, now all of a sudden they're all unifying once again on the same thing. And it's to keep Vladimir Putin out, and he's the one who is provoking attacks. It's all his fault. Well, with that in mind, I recommend people watch Michael Matt of The Remnant's most recent videos on the situation. He shows you clips. We're going to go into them more in depth in other videos. Um, but he shows you clips of John McCain and Lindsey Graham in 2017 uh, rallying Ukrainian troops, saying we're going on offense against Putin. Offense. That means you are provoking attacks. There, there's nothing esoteric about it. It's straight up, we are going to offense with Putin, and you Ukrainian soldiers, you got our back. Is that not aggression? Is it unprovoked? Is it unjustified? Well, was all these other wars in the Middle East that they were all part of before justified? You can judge that. But to act like Putin is just acting on an island, invading right now, completely unjustified, without, with ignoring all of this stuff, I find that to be kind of insane. I don't know about you. Maybe I'm just the weirdo here. I don't see it. My Catholic goggles are tainted with uh, Putin worship or whatever it is. Uh, I, I got chinks in my armor. I, I, maybe. But really think about that. And again, we're going to read what they say later in the other segments. So, with that in mind, again, 2017, it seems that Trump got in the White House, not Clinton. 
Monkey Wrench went into the system, and he got along, generally speaking, pretty good with Putin. And we're going to talk about what they worked together on that we mentioned in the Apocalyptic Elections series and other segments. Now, again, Trump had issues in Syria. Um, we always wonder, is there false intelligence early in the presidency? Maybe he was a warmonger in some of these instances or doing things he shouldn't have been and, and wanted to do them. I don't know. Setting that aside, this Ukrainian issue seemed to come to a halt under Trump. And then he's blamed with a bunch of Russian collusion that turned out to be nothing burger, right? So also recall, when people are making progress away from the beast system, takes a while, sometimes there's stock market crashes. But is it steadily going? Sometimes you might hit a ceiling, stay there for a while, but is it still continuing? Um, those are things to ask about both people like Trump and Putin, and in particular the MAGA movement and then Putin's Russia. So we'll leave it at that for this segment, and like I said, we'll get more into Big Bad Vlad in the next one. 